So in the last couple, I guess, I don't know, the last couple weeks, I've been reading the story of the Passion again and again. It's kind of really trying to get into it. And a couple of the characters that I kind of identify with, I guess maybe more than any, would be uh, Peter and Judas. I've been reflecting on Peter and Judas just a lot lately. And one of the things that just keeps coming back up again and again, every time I read the story of Peter and Judas, is that after they've betrayed Jesus, or after they've denied Jesus, both of them seem genuinely surprised that they would do that. Like, again, Peter, you know, going into the whole thing, he's like, no, Lord, I'll go to die with you. I will fight for you. I'll die tonight for you. And then later on, he says he doesn't even know him three times. He denies knowing who Jesus is three times. And again, he seems like, wait, what did I do? Why would I possibly do this? Even Judas, Judas is crazy. That at the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And Judas says, is, it's not I, Lord, is it? And, like, if you read Matthew's Gospel, he's already exchanged the money. He's already, like, set up the deal. He already has 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. He knows what he's going to do, but at the same time, he seems genuinely surprised at his weakness. And I think sometimes this, is, this can be us. This can be us as Christians, that we can think, like, no, 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 um, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be the best Christian I possibly I'm going to be me on my best day every day. And then when we experience our weakness, we can seem genuinely surprised that we were weak. Now, I have to give Judas and Peter a little break. Um, chances are, really good, that they were both young. They were probably in their late teens or early 20s at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And so, I mean, I know high schoolers and college students, they're stupid. And, um, <laughs> just kidding. Hey, kids, come on back to church. Um, no, but I mean, there's a certain sense about, like, you know, we have to grow into our self-knowledge. We have to grow into knowing our weakness. But the thing is, in order to do that, we have to not be afraid of our weakness. We can't let our weakness surprise us, and we actually can't also let our weakness scare us or condemn us. Here's what I mean. Um, I, get a, <laughs> I got an email a little while back uh, from someone I've never met, and they just, I don't know, they saw something I read, something I had said or something, and the email, the first line was this, Father Mike, you are so full of crap. <laughs> I go, okay. <laughs> and at first I was like, what? Uh, no. And then I read it again, I was like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> because it is. I mean, I, as I was reading it, I first of all, my first thing I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of fight for myself. I wanted to defend myself. And then I had to realize, no, it's actually true. I am so full of crap. I am so full of it so sometimes. Like, I don't want to be. I want, I want to be a good man. I want to be a, the kind of priest that God deserves. I want to be good. But so often, I'm just full of it. And until I'm willing to acknowledge that truth, God can't do anything with me until I'm willing to acknowledge the truth and know I'm, I am so full of it. God can't do anything with me because the truth is I'm full of it. And my guess is this, so are you. And we need to acknowledge this. Although acknowledging it, that's can be hard. There was this TV show. It was a game show back in the day. Um, it didn't last very long. It was like maybe a half of a season. It was called Moment of Truth. I don't know if you ever saw it. But Moment of Truth, the idea behind this, the premise behind Moment of Truth was you have a contestant and they're hooked up to a polygraph machine and they're interviewed a series of questions and if they answer the questions truthfully, then they get more money. But the moment they lie, they lose everything and they're done with the game. Now, on the stage, there are four of their closest family and friends that are watching there. Also, it's being filmed and later to be broadcast to the entire world. But so here's, here's the, uh, the host and he's asking this one woman, it's like episode five, asking this one woman a series of questions, and the questions get progressively more uncomfortable, progressively more um, prying and invasive. 
at, and here she is on the show. Have you ever stolen? Yes. Have you ever stolen from your current place of employment? Yes. And he keeps asking these questions. And here is, here's her mom, here's her dad, her sister, and her husband is sitting right there, right on the stage, right next to her. Questions get even more and more comfortable. In fact, the, the host, he says, actually, we're at the point already where we're, we've passed my comfort line. But we have this next guest. And so this person comes out from behind the curtain kind of a thing, her ex-boyfriend. And he asks the question, if I wanted to get back with you, would you leave your husband to be with me? No, they have, they have a one-time bu one button. You can hit the button. You can not have to answer the question. And so the host says to the husband, do you want to hit the button? You want to not ask the question? He's like, you know what? We've come this far already. We might as well, whatever. Let her answer the question. Then the sister hits the button, so she doesn't have to answer. But then the ex-boyfriend follows up. Do you think you married the wrong man? That you should be married to me instead? Yes. The husband's just devastated. Next question. Since you've been married, have you ever had relations with someone other than your husband? For a hundred plus thousand dollars, are you willing to answer this question? Yes. Here in front of her husband, sister, mom, dad, none of these people knew anything about, in front of the world, none of these people knew anything about this. Final question, for $200,000, are you a good person? She looks back at the host, yes. And the polygraph says, false. You know, her dad's in the corner going, you are, you are a good person, you are a good person. And the crazy thing is this, she was so willing to tell the truth in all these other areas, so willing to embarrass herself, shamelessly embarrass herself, embarrass her husband, embarrass her mom and dad, her sisters, all these different questions, all these different things that she had done that she's not proud of. But when it came down to this one question, are you a good person? She wasn't willing to tell the truth. And it cost her everything. Because why? Because until we're willing to tell the truth, God can't do anything with us until we're willing to admit that actually you know, when it comes down to it, I'm not a good person. That email was right. I am so full of it. Now, I don't want to be. And of course, here's the thing. The great news is this. God made you good. God's, he made you in his image and likeness. God has redeemed us in Christ. But the first thing we have to do in order to experience redemption, we have to admit that actually when it comes down to it, I am not a good person. I am so full of it. But we have this, we have this capacity to self-edit. Don't we have this capacity to self-edit? What I mean by that is this. We notice every time our spouse um, leaves their coat on the floor, but we forget all the times we leave the seat up. We, 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 we pay attention to all the times, all the times when someone cuts us off in traffic, but we completely think we're the best driver in the world. We have the ability to point out, I can't believe the priest said the C-R-A-P word with the kids in church, but then we go off in front of our own kids, say something worse. We have this massive capacity to self-edit our memory so that she's able to say, I steal, I cheat, I lie, but I'm a good person. What does it mean to be a good person if that's what we can say? You know, I think the reason why she said this is because she was afraid. I think the reason probably all of us we say this is because we're afraid. We're afraid that if I'm not a good person, then I'm not worth loving. We're afraid that if I'm not a good person, then I'm not worth choosing. We say, if I'm not a good, if I just admit this, actually at the end of the day, yeah, I might do some good things, but I don't know. I don't think I'm a good person. We think that if we admit that truth, that we're not going to be loved.
But here's the thing. The reality, my brothers and sisters, Christians today, that's why, this is why we come to Mass. Because we come here and we stand up and we say, the first thing we do every Mass, we stand up and say, I'm not a good person. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, I'm not a good person. And what do we wait for then? Do we wait for the hammer to drop or do we wait for the mercy to drop? That's the question. When I admit that I'm not a good person, do I wait for the hammer to drop or do I wait for the mercy to fall? Here's what St. Paul said in his letter to the Romans, chapter 5. He said this, especially if you're you're afraid of not being a good person, here's what St. Paul said. He said, For Christ, while we were still helpless, yet died at the appointed time for the ungodly. What he's saying is this, that while we were still bad people, while we were still not the people God wanted us to be, Jesus died for us then, for us when we were bad. He goes on. Indeed, only with difficulty does one die for a just person, though maybe, perhaps for a good person, someone might find courage to die. If you're heroic, you've just cured cancer, if you have a lot of potential, if you're a really good person, innocent, and and all these things, maybe someone might find courage to die for you. But here's what St. Paul says. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here is our problem as Catholics. We don't believe that. Here's here's our problem as Christians oftentimes. We don't believe that. We think that God's love for us is predicated upon, no, 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 I'm not bad, I'm good. We think God loves us because we're good. No, God loves us because we're not good. We think God loves us because we have something great to offer him. No, God loves us because we have nothing good to offer him. God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we just celebrated concluding today, these three days. Why did Jesus die for me? Because I'm not good. That's why. Why did Jesus die for you? Because you're full of it. Why did Jesus die for you? Because I'm good. I'm decent. No. False. Wrong. Jesus died for you because there was something in you and there's something in me that deserves death. It's called sin and it needs to be handed over to him. That's why I'm just so excited about this. The great message is not that you're bad. The message is not that you're full of it. The message is that you can hear this. You can hear these words. Hopefully this is the truth. You can hear even the voice of the accuser say, you're a liar. This morning and you can say, yep. And? You can hear the voice of the liar saying, you're so full of it. Yeah. And? You can hear the voice of the liar say, you're a cheater. Yes. And? You can hear the voice of the accuser say, the worst thing, the thing that you're most ashamed of, that's you. And you can say, yep. And? Because we have the and today. The and today is this. Yeah, I'm a liar. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, I'm a cheat. But Jesus is faithful. Yes, I am broken. But he is the healer. That yes, I've done these terrible things. And Jesus Christ, if I give him those terrible things, he has the ability to take the worst in me and make it into the best thing possible. Our problem, though, is we're not willing to admit that worst. We're not willing to admit that when it comes down to it, I walked into this church so incredibly full of it. That's all I have to offer him. Here's my invitation. 
is to tell the truth. Not just the truth about the, some of the stuff that's easy to admit, but even the stuff that's really hard to admit. Even the stuff that like, no, 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 God could never possibly love me if he knew this. Well, he knows it and he still loves you. And he proves his love for you. And that while you are still full of it, Christ died for you. To admit this truth and to hand it over to him gives us the possibility of experiencing what we call Easter joy. Again, telling this truth and giving it to Jesus is what allows us to experience what we call the reality of Easter joy. Here's what I mean. The kind of joy where we say, okay, I, I'm weak. It doesn't surprise me. The kind of joy we have, like, I, I, I'm a sinner, but it can't condemn me. We hear the voice of the accuser, but it doesn't paralyze us. And we acknowledge the truth of our brokenness, but it cannot defeat us. Because why? Because it's not yours anymore. He took it, with, he took it upon himself and he nailed it to the cross. Your weakness, he nailed it to the cross. Your brokenness, he nailed it to the cross. The accusation, he nailed it. The thing that you're most ashamed of is nailed to the cross and has been transformed. So that what? So that you can actually have an inside joke about your weakness with God. This is the last thing. Imagine this. Imagine. You've handed, you've acknowledged the truth about myself. I am not a good person, Jesus. Here it is. Here's my not goodness. God, I am so full of anger. I'm so full of hostility. I'm so full of revenge. Whatever the thing is that's in your heart. But I've, and I've given it to you, Jesus and you've transformed it, that makes it what? That makes it possible for us to have an inside joke with God. Not to laugh at sin, but to rejoice in the redemption of sin. Here's what I mean. Peter seemed surprised by his weakness. And he probably came really, really close to allowing his sin to condemn him. But what did he do? He didn't keep it to himself like Judas, and it crushed him and killed him. Peter took his sin, took his weakness, took his brokenness, took the accusation, and he gave it to Jesus. And so Jesus transformed it, just like he can do for you. Here's why the scene I imagine. <laughs> imagine that Jesus and Peter now have an inside joke, not about the sin, but about the redemption. So here we are, a couple weeks later, you know, Jesus is hanging out with the apostles for the next 40 days after the resurrection. Here they are sitting on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is teaching them stuff and they're making some food over the charcoal fire. And at one point, Andrew says to Jesus, hey, could you hand some of this to Peter? And Jesus looks at Andrew and says, who? I do not know the man. <laughs> right, Peter? You know? Now, some of us, we hear that and we're like, oh man, that's so awful. I know I've sinned. Like, no, but imagine the freedom of being able to say, yeah, that's true about my past, but Jesus gave me a future. I handed that over to him. And what, my weakness no longer surprises me. My sin no longer condemns me. Why? Because he took my weakness and he took my sin. So here's what we have to do. I invite you to do this. What we're about to do is we're going into the, what they call renewal of baptismal promises. Where you're willing to actually say, Lord, I'm so full of it. I'm a man full of anger. I'm a woman full of lust. I'm a person full of greed. I have this hatred in my heart for someone. Lord, I'm broken. I'm weak, and I've been accused. But I'm giving that to you right now. I'm giving that to you right now, and I'm allowing you to take it, to transform it, and to turn my weakness into joy, to turn my failure 
into victory because that is what Jesus does and that is what we're celebrating today, right? The cross is not the end as long as God is present. The cross is the most incredible sign of failure. But when God's present, the cross becomes the picture of victory. So brothers and sisters, I invite you to do this. I invite you to stand with me now as we renew our baptismal promises by which we turn from our sin that could condemn us and that can break us and paralyze us and turn to the grace that makes us whole, that sets us free and brings us joy.